it pays to maybe not get the max rent you could in exchange for getting a very good tenant. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Heard of crowdfunding and still curious about how you can benefit from it? Well, we've got a step-by-step guide put together just for you by the best ever team and patch of land, the industry's leading crowdfunding experts. The best crowdfunding crash course ever, episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173 will provide you all you need to know to get started and begin benefiting immediately. Whether it's getting access to funds for your project or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started with Patch of Land. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and I'm here with today's guest, Ralph McLaughlin. Hi, Ralph. Hi, Joe. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for joining us. Ralph is joining us from San Francisco, California, where he is the housing economist for Trulia. And he has tons of credentials. He's got his Bachelor of Science in Regional Development from the University of Arizona and a PhD in Planning, Policy, and Design from the University of California, Irvine, with a specialization in urban development. He has more than a dozen publications and research papers in the fields of housing economics, housing policy, industrial geography, and he was previously an assistant professor and director of the Certificate in Real Estate Development Program at San Jose State, California, and non-real estate related, but certainly ties into real estate because of all the craziness. He has an alcohol, interesting fact-related topic. So he is an avid home brewer. And when he was living in Australia, one of his beers won first place in the IPA category for their national competition. So he is a man of many talents. Excited to have you on the show, Ralph. Can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, so um, I got into uh, real estate. I'm, I'm primarily on the research side of real estate, and I got into it um, through my former life as an academic. Uh, when I was a, a young man, didn't know what I wanted to do as an undergraduate, I uh, studied abroad, went to Europe, and got really interested in cities. I just like cities. I like being in them. And then I realized that actually a lot of my interest about cities had to do with their form and function. And then as I got a little bit older, I realized that a lot of that form and function was heavily influenced by real estate and real estate markets. So I decided to go to grad school and earn a, um, uh, a degree in urban planning where I focused on uh, real estate and um, land use regulations. And after I graduated, I got my first job as an academic in Australia where I wrote about uh, the Australian housing market. I uh, had a chance to come back to my hometown of San Jose and became a professor in urban planning at San Jose State University. And I continued my work there primarily on housing supply. And then uh, last year, I had a bit of a an abrupt um, career shift. I went out of the university sector and into the private sector where I joined uh, Trulia. And now I get to conduct a lot of really uh, fast-paced, cutting-edge research on uh, the housing market, primarily for consumers and home buyers. 
I'm also a small-time property investor. My wife and I own one sort of pure rental property and then a triplex that we live in now. So let's talk about this fast-paced and cutting-edge research that you do at Trulia. What are you seeing right now and what do we need to know? Well, a lot of the work that we conduct is to uh, help home buyers uh, or potential home buyers make decisions about whether or not it's better to rent uh, or to buy. Uh, as you know, and as any investor knows, uh, you know, markets change, they go up and down. And so we help, we help consumers, we help potential buyers sort through all the information to find out, uh, depending on where they live and their individual, individual circumstances, whether or not it's a better time for them to buy or to rent a property. Um, and that's also useful information to know for investors too, because it signals sort of where the market is moving and whether or not is a time to invest in rental property uh, or whether or not it may be time to invest in, um, say, property uh, for the owner-occupier market. And help me, I'm a little bit slow sometimes, help me connect the dots. How does determining if it's better to rent or buy in a particular market help investors? Okay, so if markets are such uh, where, say, uh, demand for rental properties is quite high or it's growing, then uh, investors, that, that's a key indicator that, hey, um, uh, you know, maybe now's the time to invest in rental property because uh, perhaps there are uh, an emerging number of households that are going to be looking to uh, rent properties. Uh, so, for example, right now, uh, millennials are starting to get jobs. They're starting to move out of their parents' basements. Um, and, you know, one of the first steps is probably to rent and not to buy. Um, and, uh, so that, that's the kind of information that's useful both to the renters when making decision about whether to rent or buy a house or to an investors as to what side of the market to invest in. If we're looking up rental trends and, and trying to find this information, where do we go? I assume it's on Trulia, but where do we go and, and kind of what should we be looking for? What specific data points should we be looking for? So www.trulia.com slash trends is the outlet for our work. Um, we're certainly not the only uh, source of information on real estate research. Uh, but when it comes to analyzing you know, information, one of the key data points uh, for investors as well as for home buyers is the ratio of uh, prices to rents in any given market. Uh, and that can tell you, uh, you know, to what level um, you know, the market is in equilibrium. Help me draw on that a little bit more. I like where you're going. Can you kind of dumb that down for me and make that very clear? Like what, what's a ratio? What's a sample ratio? What's good? What's bad? Yep. So, uh, for example, uh, here in San Francisco, uh, the ratio of um, uh, prices to rents is quite, is quite high. Uh, which means that if you were to, say, buy a property and rent it out, your return on that property, the horizon is quite long because you're paying you know, quite a high price uh, for rents uh, that don't may, you know, maybe don't necessarily cover uh, all the debt obligations with that property. Whereas there may be other markets, uh, such as in, in Texas um, and in the South, where rents are quite high relative to prices. Uh, so that means you can buy a property that has relatively high rents, um, and you're much more likely to get a property that will cover all of your debt obligations and hopefully uh, provide a little additional cash flow in those types of markets. Got it. Okay, so you're talking about the monthly rent divided by the purchase price, or I might have said that wrong, purchase price divided by the monthly rent, and then whatever that ratio is, say, you know, because a lot of people have heard of the 2% rule where you want your rent, your monthly rent to be 2% of the purchase price. It's unlikely. Well, I don't know about unlikely, but 
I've never come across that in a good market. My ratio is usually about 1.3 to 1.6% of my monthly rent to the purchase price. Is that the ratio you're talking about? Yeah, we do it, you know, mathematically in an equivalent way. We look at, uh, you know, the median price to the annual rental income. So basically, um, you know, the cap rate. Okay. And, you know, and so in markets um, that are, that, um, you know, have really high prices relative to rents like San Francisco, you know, they hover, you know, around 20, 21, 22, uh, whereas uh, markets, uh, in other words, you know, San Francisco, the median price is about 20, uh, 20 times median rent. Uh, whereas in other markets, you know, it's around five, um, you know, off the top of my head, I think Houston and Dallas and some markets, um, you know, in Florida and Tennessee are around, you know, much lower number. So it's easier to generate um, cash flow in those markets than it is in, you know, the markets where prices really exceed rents. When you started studying this stuff, and clearly you've got a very credentialed background and well-read, well-studied, and as a result, a lot of really cool-looking degrees, I imagine, on your wall. <laughs> For best-ever listeners and people like myself who do not have all of those degrees, but we still want to learn, if we don't go to those particular institutions, where can we get educated? Well, you probably are thinking, well, Trulia, <laughs> forward slash trends. In, in addition to that, what are some good resources online? So there's a lot of great resources online. Um, and certainly while we present information on Trulia, you know, we're not necessarily a self-help um, bastion of information to learn about this stuff. So even a lot of the well-known uh, books out there are good places to start. Um, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, you know, one of the uh, things that, uh, you know, I really learned from books like that is, you know, uh, make your money uh, work for you. Don't work for your money. You know, and th those are sort of higher level um, lessons to learn. But there are many different resources online. It doesn't take um, you know, much to, um, uh, you know, to, to search and find those resources. Um, there's several good books, uh, other good books out there uh, that I've read. Um, you know, uh, the Urban Land Institute puts out a lot of great work on uh, real estate finance and real estate development finance. And, uh, you know, many of those books are actually written at a level that, you know, your average reader can uh, uh, learn from them. You know, they're not, um, you know, sort of high level ivory tower kind of stuff. You know, they're very practical oriented books. Those are a lot of sources that even to this day, you know, I, I still try to keep current. And those are many of the sources that I use to keep up to speed on what's going on. You mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. As we talked about, we had Robert Kiyosaki on the show. So any best ever listener who wanted to hear that episode, it's episode 262. It happened about a week ago. So let's talk about your triplex that you're living in. You're living in one side, running out the others? That's right. In fact, uh, we bought it uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, you know, when I was fairly poor paid assistant professor in, in the public sector. And of course, uh, you know, my wife's got a full-time job, uh, but, you know, we live in one of the most expensive areas in the country and we really, you know, we, we, we didn't have much success uh, early on in finding an affordable place to live. Properties were going off the market very, very quickly. You know, it was tough to put in competitive um, bids. So we decided to, um, you know, rethink our strategy on, um, you know, how to get a place. And um, so we decided to, well, let's look at the multifamily market. Let's become sort of an owner uh, occupier slash investor. And, uh, you know, found a great property that was, uh, you know, in a part of Oakland that's very, very well connected. Uh, it's a triplex. We live in one unit. We rent out the other two. And it makes living in one of the most expensive markets in the country financially feel like living in a much more affordable place like Houston or Dallas because we've got uh, two extra uh, units that are helping us pay the mortgage. 
Um, so uh, we're very, very, uh, very, very fortunate and, and uh, very happy to uh, to go down that route. What type of financing do you have on it? Because this is an expensive area, uh, and at the time, um, you know, I had a much lower income than I do now. We initially went with uh, an FHA loan, three and a half percent down, and that was really to get us into the property. And once we got into the property, uh, we waited uh, six months uh, to, you know, gain a little bit of uh, appreciation, and then we also saved up a little bit more money so that we could refinance into a non-FHA loan. So we didn't have to pay um, mortgage insurance, as anyone knows mortgage insurance on FHA loan uh, can be very, very expensive. Uh, so we used it to get into the uh, property. Then we refinanced uh, six months later uh, into, a, um, into a conventional loan. What's something that you've learned along the way as a landlord? You know, it really pays to take care of your tenants, you know, and, and it's, uh, I, I know a lot of investors tend to, uh, you know, think of, uh, you know, real estate investing as, you know, purely a business transaction. And, and you know, for the most part, it is. Uh, but, you know, if you take care of your tenants, they'll take care of you. And it's easy to say that because we live, you know, right above our two tenants. But, you know, they, uh, they're more than, than happy to, um, you know, let me know if something goes, goes wrong as soon as possible, you know, um, which is good for maintenance. You know, one small problem can lead to other big problems. So it's good to have that, you know, open lines of communication. Other things like, um, you know, it pays to maybe not get the max rent you could in exchange for getting a very good tenant because a very good tenant is likely to, you know, hopefully be in your unit for, uh, you know, a long period of time. So you don't have as high turnover and it's actually more beneficial on the long run. So those are a couple of things that I learned. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Do your homework. Use data. Don't rely just on hearsay or others' advice. And, you know, even more than that, know where you are at in the property cycle. It's okay to trust uh, others' hearsay, but trust and verify. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever sponsors. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it, and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Okay, Ralph, best ever book you've read? John Steinbeck's East of Eden. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. First job out of college, I worked uh, on the U.S.-Mexico border seeking out endangered uh, frogs. Required a lot of, a lot of physical labor uh, in really hot conditions, and I decided that I'd much rather use my mind for my day job than my body. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just started smiling when you said seeking out endangered. I don't know why endangered frogs just makes me smile, and I'm sure like we've got some environmentalists, best ever listeners, are like, why are you laughing about that? <laughs> I just thought I, just, it just, I found it funny. You know, it was a $9 an hour job, uh, you know, just finished college and needed work and it sounded exciting and it was, but it was a hell of a lot of physical work. That's for sure. Best ever success habit you practice. I go for an hour walk every single day, uh, hour walk on my own. It gives me time to think about the days, the weeks, the months, the years priorities. It gives me a chance to really uh, think about, uh, just think about what I want to work on. The people in Buffalo, New York are thinking, damn you and your nice weather. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you can bundle up in Buffalo, right? (laughs) Oh, no, you've never been to Buffalo. (laughs) 
have to ask my coworker. My coworker's from Buffalo, and uh, uh, yeah, he's living out here for a reason. <laughs> what time do you go? You go in the mornings? I usually go in the morning. I usually get up at about five, and between five and six, I go out for a walk with my dogs, and just gives me gives me a great time to you know just to think whether it's thinking about a problem at work uh, that I'd like to address, or whether it's more bigger picture things uh, about uh, you know my plan uh, for the month or the year or you know the next five years. What time do you usually go to bed? <laughs> this is embarrassing. I'm usually in bed by eight thirty. No, that's typical for all the best ever guests who say they wake up at 5 a.m. I always ask that follow-up question, when do you go to bed? Because I'm thinking, when do they actually sleep? But you might be on the early end, I will say that. Usually it's by 10 p.m., so you, you do have your warm glass of milk a little bit earlier than most people do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my cold glass of beer usually, and then I'm out at 8.30. Right, exactly, exactly. Well-crafted beer at that. Exactly. Best ever deal you've done. Like we talked about before, the triplex that I purchased and live in now. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? I'm excited about the research team that we're starting to build out here at Trulia. Uh, it's going to allow us to do some really cutting edge research uh, that helps home buyers and renters make the best decision about uh, you know uh, buying or, or renting a property. Best ever way you like to give back? Teaching. Uh, it's what I miss most about being at a university, and I'm looking forward to um, uh, continuing uh, to find ways to to teach and pass on uh, pass on the knowledge to future generations. Best ever quote and what it means to you. Best ever quote, John Steinbeck. Ideas are like rabbits. You get a couple of them and learn to handle them, and pretty soon you have a dozen. You know, and that really means that um, you know everyone's got ideas, um, but you really need to know. Uh, how to think through the ideas and not just think through them, but also find ways to implement them. And once you get experience coming up with ideas and following through uh, and learning how to be sort of malleable in the process and taking those ideas to reality, um, you become better at doing that. And, uh, you know, I'll be, beware of getting idea because soon, soon enough that can lead into uh, many, many more. How have you applied that specifically in your life or career? So I was always... Uh, you know, very interested in, in real estate supply, specifically in housing supply, especially when I was younger, you know, and I always thought it was, uh, you know, a very, you know, sort of simplistic process that, you know, people need places to live and then builders build them. And so I got an idea about, uh, you know, how to study, you know, housing supply and how uh, land use regulations affect housing supply. Um, but had so many different ideas, that sort of one core theme. And it wasn't until I took that first idea and actually wrote about it in, in a very um, poor, naive manner that I started to get more ideas uh, about, um, you know, how to study it, uh, you know, more relevantly, more accurately. Um, and, you know, to have, you know, it really taught me to, to have faith that just because you think you have a great idea, you know, doesn't mean you should necessarily always stick to that idea. There's lots of tangents that can come off of that. And, you know, you got to be appreciative of those tangents and, and not dismissive. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Buying my first house. Uh, so when I was living in Australia, I was renting. My wife and I were renting. The owner decided to sell and we decided to buy, uh, which you know normally sounds like a good idea. But there was, a, you know, there was a chance, uh, especially looking back, that we would move in, you know, a year or two. And it turned out we actually had to move in six months back to the U.S. And we lost a good amount of money on that. 
So for those uh, home buyers out there or, or even other investors, you know, if you think there's a possibility, you might have to get out of that investment real quickly. You know, you might want to think twice about pulling the trigger. And why is that? Because some would say, well, if you buy it right, then it doesn't matter how quickly you need to get out because you go in with equity. So what's like the deeper thing there that caused that? So the deeper thing, and this is really more relevant when we were living in Australia than here in the U.S., but um, in Australia, uh, they have something called stamp duty. Uh, and it's basically a large tax that you have to pay whenever you buy a property. And stamp duty, I think at the time, was around uh, 8 or 9%. Of the value of the house you just had to pay out so it's basically like instead of coming up with a 20 percent down payment you would have to come up with like a 29 or or 30 percent down payment but you wouldn't get 10 percent of that in equity so basically it was like 10 percent of the house uh, nearly 10 percent of the value of the house that we just lost that we had to pay from taxes um, so uh, you know that that you know maybe, maybe doesn't necessarily apply here, but there's still you know costs associated with transactions here in the U.S. and buying a property. And even if you have equity, um, if you have to get out very quickly, um, you know you may not have you know earned enough uh, from that property to cover the costs uh, of acquiring. Where does the stamp duty go? What's that for? So it's, it's, it's a tax. It goes to the state government um, to pay for uh, things. Um, uh, actually goes to a general pool, but usually it's applied to things like affordable housing or road infrastructure. Um, it sort of um, ebbs and flows depending on who, uh, who's running the state government at the time. But it's, you know, it's sort of it's, it's akin to a transfer tax that we have here in some municipalities in the U.S., but on a much uh, sort of larger, uh, larger amount. Any other main differences between buying here in Australia? Yeah, so buying in Australia, it's very, very unusual to have a buyer's agent. Um, usually, uh, buyers work directly with the seller's agent, uh, which I found a little odd at first because uh, you know sometimes it can help to have an agent who's looking out for your best interest and may be able to um, you know sniff out things maybe that um, aren't such a good deal. Uh, so it really it really makes buyers in Australia, whether it's investors or whether it's owner occupiers, um, you know it, it really it, it's much more important for buyers to do their homework there uh, than it is here because here in the U.S. you know, we typically work with a buyer's agent who you know helps look out for you. So those are two things that are more favorable for the seller or at least one's neutral to the seller and the other's more favorable to the seller. Are there any advantages as a buyer compared to the U.S.? You know, it was a bit easier, I think, to um, to get a loan uh, compared to um, now. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to compare it to getting a loan, say, 2004, 2005, 2006 in the U.S. because you can get a loan, uh, you know, with no documentation. But I, I found the process personally a bit easier in Australia. Um, you know, banks, you know, although they require documentation, you know, they were able to do a lot of the verification on their own, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, the buyer having to provide all the documentation themselves. So if you gave uh, the bank in Australia, you know, all your details about, uh, you know, where you worked and what your, um, you know, income history was, they they did all the work uh, basically on your behalf to verify, you know, your, your incomes and your and your assets. So it was much easier uh, than here, at least my recent experience. You know, I think the last when I bought my triplex in uh, Oakland, I must have submitted over 100 to 150 different documents on my own, you know, and that was a lot of my time. 
uh, you know, that I had to do that. Whereas in Australia, you know, uh, it was it was a small fraction of that. And the bank was able to do most of it on their own accord. What's the best ever place to reach you? Twitter at Housingnomics. That's at H-O-U-S-I-N-G-N-O-M-I-X. H-O-U-S-I-N-G-M-O-N-I-X? H-O-U-S-I-N-G-N-O-M-I-X. Housingnomics. Got it. Housing no mix. Exactly right. Housing no mix. (laughs) (laughs) Ralph, thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your best ever advice with best ever listeners and talking about your Deckard uh, past with kind of your, the studies that you've done and what you're doing now at Trulia and you know, identifying the housing trends, doing conducting research on housing markets, kind of what to look for. Everyone check out trulia.com forward slash trends. Go see what they've got going on there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on there right after I get done. Gab it on this interview and look at that stuff. And, you know, talking about your triplex and really the triplex example is an example that is relevant to anybody who lives in a market similar to San Francisco. So I'm talking about you New York people, I'm talking New York City people, talking about maybe some Austinites, some Miami people. I don't know what you call yourself Miami people. What is it? Do you know Miamiers or something? Miamians? Miamians. I think it might be a Miamians. And my my former roommate is from Miami. I should know that. People from LA. So anybody living in that type of market live in one side, run out the other, get an FHA loan, and then if, if you choose to do so, maybe get a loan six months later to do a non-FHA if you don't want to pay that high mortgage interest that Ralph didn't want to pay. So thank you so much for being on the show and talking through the differences. You know, we kind of fell into it, but I'm glad that you talked about the differences between Australia and here and the different loan advantages where the advantage to the buyer in Australia is that it's much easier to get the paperwork submitted and completed. It's more of a turnkey-ish process. I doubt it's turnkey, but turnkey-ish process. And the uh, kind of the, the two other variables that are in play, the stamp tax, I'd never heard of that, 8 to 9% at the time. I'm not sure what it is now, but 8 to 9% whenever you were doing it. And buyers working directly with the seller's agent. So there could be some conflict of interest there. I'm sure they've got a system that has worked out those kinks, but certainly from an outsider looking in with me, it, it seems like that would be a little bit more of a challenge. So good to know that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to mention to the best ever listeners? Nope. Happy to be here. It was fun chatting with you, Joe. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, you best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes, so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever. 